I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Welcome back to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. It's great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson. Uh, we're just waiting to get uh, Sarah Isger on the line, talk about some of the things going on in terms of how the issues change or don't change what happens in the polls and what happens when we actually go to cast our votes. Uh, the headlines say that things like guns and abortion will, will be the biggest issue uh, in voting this year and could determine the results of November's elections. Is it true? Is it not true? How much does this uh, really work and how often does it really change the dynamics uh, in terms of what happens when we actually get the results of votes come November? Uh, and often it's it's interesting that we we think uh, that uh, the things that we are passionate about or the things that have our blood boiling uh, are going to be the issues for everyone. And I think it's one of the great mistakes that we make uh, in looking at these kinds of things when it comes to the polls. Uh, many people say, oh, well, if this happens, then that's going to favor the Democrats and they're going to maintain control of the House and the senator. If this happens, then the Republicans win both and the president's in trouble. Uh, and it's easy to go down those those paths. But what we have to remember is that often those issues don't actually change the game. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Uh, helping us to break all of that down, uh, really pleased to have back on the show, Sarah Isger. She's staff writer for The Dispatch and an analyst for ABC News. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so let's dive into this as we look at uh, yet a great piece of The Dispatch talking about why issues don't change votes. Uh, tell us about it. Well, when you think about it, there's only two ways to actually make an impact on an election. One is to have people come vote who would otherwise stay home. And the other way is to have someone change their vote from one candidate to another. And so when you talk about any political issue, what you're asking yourself is, is it going to do either of those two things? So, for instance, uh, it's a very popular talking point that expanded background checks are supported by 80 to 90 percent of voters. But then you have to ask the question, why isn't that being reflected at the ballot box? Well, there's many possible reasons. Um, for instance, it turns out that the intensity of voters is just very low on guns. They're more interested in voting for a candidate who perhaps disagrees with them on background checks, but agrees with them on some economic policy, mm -hmm. for instance. Uh, or perhaps voters aren't informed. You know, the one side spending more money than the other side. It's gerrymandering. Uh, lots of different examples. But what we see actually when you look at some of this data is that uh, the issues themselves 
are not moving voters. So, for instance, to use the gun issue to continue with that example, we had ballot measures on expanded background checks in California, Washington, Nevada, and Maine, all Democratic you know, states that voted for Hillary Clinton. And in those states, expanded background checks pulls off the charts, 80 to 90 percent, like it does in the rest of the nation. But when those things were on the ballot, they massively underperformed. Mm. In fact, Hillary Clinton got more support in each of those states than the ballot measures themselves did. So that's the same voters. And this time it's not, you know, well, the candidate believes 12 things and I had to prioritize which 12, which tells us that perhaps the issue polling itself isn't quite right. Oh, that's that's really fascinating. One of the things you pointed out in, in your piece is one that uh, we've seen a lot of headlines. We're always trying to get people to think again and think past the headlines. Uh, obviously, uh, everyone is looking with the calendar ticking down on the Supreme Court term. Obviously, there's going to be a, a big ruling that will impact uh, Roe v. Wade in some way or another. And uh, you, you kind of took a, a, a chunk of that and looked at what does that actually mean? And will that issue change voters? Give us that perspective. Yeah, I just see all these headlines about how, um, here's one from Gallup, abortion poised to be a bigger voting issue than in the past. But there's actually no evidence to say that that's true. Now, I just want to be clear. It could turn out to be true. Sure, sure. And I think there's reasons to say that the data that we have from the past may not be predictive of the future. But I'm here to talk about data. So let me tell you what data we do have. So. Pro-choice sentiment is now the highest that Gallup has measured since 1995. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is relevant. Um, but to translate that into how people will vote this time is, of course, a leap because pro-choice, pro-life, these terms don't really necessarily mean much at all in terms of how people see what they want public policy to be. So Gallup asked some other questions that were great, um, said that, most people, the highest number of people, think that the Democrats have the better plan on abortion, for instance. But when you dig into those numbers, the people who newly identify as pro-choice, who have driven up that number from last year, are almost all Democrats. And the people who say that Democrats have the better plan for abortion, almost all Democrats. Uh, So that's the problem I hope that you see, which is if they were already voting for Democrats, then it's not going to do one of those two fundamental things. Get someone to come out to vote who wasn't already voting. Democratic turnout was the highest it's ever been in 2018 and 2020. And it's not going to change someone from a Republican to a Democrat because they were already Democrats. And just in case the data isn't enough, we actually already have a race where we tested this in. The last pro-life Democrat in the House who's up for election was in Texas. He had a primary challenger who was pro-choice. And this election was just held two weeks ago in Texas. So well after the Dobbs opinion, voters there as informed and outraged as they really are going to be, um, far more than compared to six months from now in November in terms of how much this is in the headlines. And voters, even in that race, even in a Democratic primary among Democratic voters, voted for the pro-life Democrats, showing either the issue isn't meaningful to Democrats or it's just a lot more nuanced for some Democrats than the issue polling would suggest. Oh, that's a, that's such important perspective. It's so easy to react to the to the numbers. One of the things I love that you, you point out in your piece, Sarah, is that uh, when we get to that issue polling, there's there's just never really space in there for the nuance. Uh, 
Do we need to look at that kind of issue polling in a different way? Or is there a different method or what else should we be factoring into these issues? I just think it's important for people to think about um, how their brain works. You know, when someone <laughs> asks you a question, um, you know, unless it is a, for instance, okay, sorry, let me back up. When we ask voters who they voted for, that's actually, they're able to tell us that answer. Mm-hmm. Now, they may not tell you the truth. Um, they may change their mind, but they can say, I am voting for X person because that's a specific thing that they're going to do. Right. When you ask someone how they feel about an issue, well, that's a totally different type of question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then even among those who are able to articulate exactly what they feel, and it's really, really clear. So this is a pretty interesting statistic. 5% of voters identify as pro-life, want to uphold Roe v. Wade, as in keep abortion constitutional, and oppose a ban on abortion after 15 weeks. That's fascinating. I mean, I think most candidates would say that's totally contradictory. That voter doesn't exist. But 5% of voters believe that, and that is plenty to swing most close elections. Yeah. Oh, that is uh, great stuff. Great insight, as always. Sarah Isger, staff writer for The Dispatch and analyst for ABC News, uh, one of our favorite guests on the program, because you get us thinking about all these numbers in a very different way. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Have a good one. All right. That's Sarah Isger again for The Dispatch. And great insight there. All of those contradictions and nuances are the things that we have to get thinking about. It's not the monolithic thing. It's not the sweeping generalities. We got to think nuance. We got to think at a higher level. We'll be right back. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.